this is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Open your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, you're using one of the Bibles in the pews. It's page 977. So today, we really launch into the second part of the book of Ephesians. You remember, chapters 1 through 3 are done, okay? It's what God has done for us in Christ. The spiritual riches that are ours in Christ. Chapters 4 through 6, do Okay, it's about living out what God has already done for us. It's about walking with God. What does a mature Christian life look like? That's what chapters 4 through 6 are all about. So we're going to begin that journey today. And in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 4, basically what Paul is saying is this. Live up to your calling. In chapters 1 through 3, he's been telling us about this incredibly high calling that we've been given in Christ. And now basically, in chapters 4 through 6, he's going to be saying, live up to that calling. And in these first six verses of chapter 4, what he's saying is that If you're going to live up to your calling, then you are going to be a believer who loves unity. You're going to demonstrate maturity in the way that you relate to other people. So let's look at it uh, together. Ephesians 4 and verses 1 through 6. Paul says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk, to live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So Father, we pray that you would help us to apply this text. We pray that you would make us people who love unity and who relate to one another in a way that facilitates unity because we are one in Christ. Help us to act like one and demonstrate that love and unity before a world that so desperately needs to see that. Because as our Lord has told us, they will know we are Christians by our love. Speak to us now through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as many of you know, I'm a big baseball fan, and I'm a diehard fan of the New York Yankees. It's been a tough year for us thus far. Um, But even in this 
injury-riddled type of season for the Yankees. There's one thing that holds true, and that is that generally, when players come over and they put on the Yankee uniform, they take it up a couple of notches because of the tradition that's associated with that team. And they, they want to play in a way that's sort of equal to that grand tradition. That's sort of like what Paul is saying here in verse 1 when he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. For three chapters, he's been talking about this high calling that we have in Christ, this, this new identity that Jesus has given us. And now, in these next three chapters, he's going to be saying, okay, now live in a way that is equal to that. In fact, the word worthy here in verse 1, the Greek word is axios, which is where we get the English word axiom. And that means to be of equal weight. And so what he's saying here is, is live in a way that is of equal weight, that's equal to this incredibly high calling that you have been given. You've been given this weighty calling in Christ. Now live in a way that's equal to that. And what he's going to be saying here is that sort of the, the first mark of Christians who are living up to their calling is that they are people who love unity. And they behave in a way that, that promotes and facilitates unity. That's really kind of the, the, the theme here in verses 1 through 6. So, he's going to give us three things about believers who live up to their calling. First of all, they are eager for unity. Let's look at what he says in verse 3. He says they're eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, the word eager here carries the, the idea of haste, of urgency, of crisis. He, he's saying that, that mature believers, believers who are living up to their high calling in Christ, they make unity a priority. They love unity. They're, they're, they cherish unity. They're, uh, they're zealous to promote unity and to get people together. Since 1995, when Toy Story came out, Pixar has produced some of the most, uh, the, the biggest international blockbuster animated films of all time. And when Pixar first began in the mid-90s, their plan was to build three buildings in their complex. One was going to be for the animators. One was going to be for the computer programmers. And then a third building was going to be for management. But the late Steve Jobs, who was the head of Pixar and someone who affects your, many of your lives every day, whether you know it or not, because he's the guy responsible for the iPhone. But Steve Jobs, who was the head of the company, scrapped that plan. And he instead moved the entire corporation. He, they bought a, an old Del Monte canning factory in Emeryville, California. And uh, they, they renovated it. And so it was like this huge floor space. 
And Steve Jobs moved an atrium to the center of this huge space because he wanted all these people to be forced to interact with one another. From the people from different departments, he wanted them to have to bump into each other so that they could make relationships and deepen relationships and exchange ideas. He went so far as to move every bathroom into that atrium in the middle. All of the coffee, every mailbox, he put it all in this center atrium just for the purpose so that people would be forced to bump into one another. And so that the relationships and the creative exchange of ideas would take place. If Steve Jobs would be that zealous to promote relationships and unity in a corporation, how much more zealous should we be where the stakes are infinitely higher in the church? We're to be people who are eager for unity. Unity is a joyous thing. Psalm 133 says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Sometimes I think God allows churches to go through a time of disunity just so they can appreciate unity all the more because it's just such a blessed thing. So it's a joyous thing. And then unity is a, a Christ-like thing. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Jesus says that when you pursue unity among people, you know who you look like? You look like your heavenly Father. What lengths did he go to to promote peace and be reconciled to his enemies, <laughs> which was us? Romans 5 tells us, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Christ came, died for our sins, and rose again. Because God wanted to be at peace with His creatures so that we could have a way to be reconciled to Him. Now, are there limits to unity? Yes. If the Word of God is at stake, if the Gospel is at stake. I mean, we've seen examples just in recent months of certain churches that have had to pull out of their denomination because their denomination basically had left the Bible. And so, you know, when the Word of God is at stake, I mean, there's, you know, there's no other option. I mean, if your denomination or your church is just kind of junk the Bible, I mean, you don't have any choice. But listen, 99% of the problems in churches are not because of some weighty issue of doctrine. It's because people are being people. <laughs> and people are not behaving in ways that... He's going to talk about here in verse 2. So let's look at that. The second thing he's saying here is that believers who are living up to their calling um, exemplify behavior that facilitates unity. And, and what is that? Verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in Love. So, Paul gives us four characteristics here of mature, unity-facilitating Christians. And the first is 
humility. Let's look at verse 2. He says, with all humility. Now, um, sometimes translated as lowliness, the Greek word was rarely used in secular Greek literature in the first century. And when it was, it was not considered to be a good thing. It was not considered to be a virtue. The pagans uh, didn't think humility was a virtuous thing. To them, virtue was being proud and being uh, self-sufficient and being dominant. So you don't see this Greek word very much in pagan literature. And when you do, it's not considered to be a virtue. But in the literature of the Bible, it's a different story. In the Old Testament, humility or its various cognates, it's, it's used over 250 times in the Old Testament. Usually in the context where God is talking about bringing down the proud and the arrogant and exalting the humble. Those who exhibit humility, humble trust and walk with God. And then Jesus comes along and Jesus takes it even further. And Jesus says, the greatest among you is the one who, what? Serves. Right? The one who is a doulos, a slave of all. Who, he says that greatness is exemplified in humble servanthood. And Jesus not only talked about it, he did it. Jesus is the one who got down and took a towel and washed their dirty feet. And then ultimately Jesus exemplifies humility by going to the cross. And it's interesting, when, when Paul encourages the Philippian church toward uh, unity, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So he's encouraging the church to be united, to be of the same mind, the same love, and he says that you can promote that um, by not being about you know selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, putting others first. And then he points to the ultimate example of that, which is Jesus. Okay, He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so the first behavior characteristic that facilitates unity is humility. And then if you look again in verse 2, he says, with all humility and gentleness. So the next characteristic of of uh, of unity uh, facilitating mature believers is that they are gentle. The word is sometimes translated as meekness, which is not weakness, but controlled strength. Strength under control. Let me ask you something. Does it take a stronger person to be the kind of person who just kind of like you know, is hot-tempered and just sort of goes off on people? 
Does that really demonstrate strength? Or does it demonstrate more strength to be under control uh, and calm and to, and to waive your own rights out of consideration for other people? I think it's pretty obvious you know, which is the stronger person. So gentleness, meekness, strength under control, a willingness to waive your own rights and desires for the good of others. And then patience. Patience, again, in verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, which is sometimes translated as long-suffering. Australian New Testament scholar Peter T. O'Brien says this about it. Patience is that long-suffering which makes allowance for others' shortcomings and endures wrong rather than flying into a rage or desiring vengeance. And listen, we should be patient with one another because of how patient and long-suffering God has been with us. This is who He is. Exodus 34, 6 says that He is a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. What if God were not slow to anger? Where would we be? And then the fourth characteristic is is forbearance. Let's look at verse 2 again. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another in love. So forbearance is closely related to patience. It's sort of the practical expression of patience. And he says that we're to be bearing with the weaknesses and failures and sins of others because of how God has been forbearing with us. Because God has has been bearing with us and our failures and our shortcomings, our sins. In fact, He bared them in His own body as He hung on the cross. Now, do you see how all of these things go back to the Gospel? All of them do. Okay, Humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, they all go back to the Gospel. You see, we, all, we so often say when we're tempted not to act like this, the temptation is always to say, well, you know what, they don't deserve patience right now. They don't deserve my patience. They don't deserve my humility. Um, they don't deserve gentleness. They don't deserve for me to bear with them anymore. When we're tempted to think like that, we need to ask ourselves some questions. What if God had treated us in the way that we deserved? What if God had treated us with justice rather than mercy? What if God had given us the wages that we had earned? Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Gospel is not about getting what we deserve, but what we didn't deserve. Instead of paying us what we deserve, the wages that we had earned, God gave His Son for us. And so the Gospel is all about humility, gentleness, 
patience and forbearance for sinners like you and me. We've been on the receiving end of that. Now, let's go and do likewise to other people because we have been so loved. So, second characteristic of believers who are living up to their high calling. First one, eager for unity. Second one, they exemplify behavior that promotes unity. And the third one is that they recognize the fact of unity. The fact of unity. The explicit fact of unity. And we see that in verses 4 through 6. Let's look at it. He says there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So in a way, when we act in a way that's not characteristic of unity, we're really denying who we are, who God has already made us. Because seven times here, In three short verses, he uses the word one. And he doesn't say, well, try to be one. No, he says you are one. He says there is one body. There is one spirit. There is one hope. There is one Lord. There is one faith. There is one baptism. There is one Father. Let's kind of walk through all seven of those. There's one body. Throughout the book of Ephesians, he's been talking about the body of Christ. It's made up of people from different backgrounds, Jews, Gentiles, okay, but now there's one body of Christ. As he says in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There's one body. There is one spirit. The Holy Spirit, who has drawn us all to Christ, who indwells all of us as believers. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. And then he says that there is one hope. In chapter 1 and verse 10, He tells us about God's plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him. Things in heaven and things on earth. All Christians are going to be a part of that. When Christ returns and raises us and renews His creation, then the vision of Revelation 5 and 7, where you've got people of all tribes and tongues gathered around and praising Christ, All Christians are going to be a part of that. There's one hope. There's one Lord. And only one. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. One Lord. One faith. The faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, as Jude tells us. And then there's one baptism. Baptism for the early Christians, was not sort of a peripheral, non-important thing. 
when he writes to these early believers and he says there's one baptism, he knows that they're all going to know what he's talking about because all of the believers who were a part of the early church were baptized. They became believers and then they were baptized. They knew nothing about believers who were not baptized. It was just, it was, it was just something that all of the early Christians experienced. Now listen, if you're here and you're a believer and you haven't yet been baptized, you need to be. Not because your salvation is on the line. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. We're not saved by baptism. You should be baptized. If you're a believer, you should be baptized. Not because your salvation is at stake, but because you love the Lord and you want to obey Him. And believers, baptism is a command. There's one baptism. And then there's one Father. Now, do you see the Trinity here in this statement, right? One Spirit, Holy Spirit, one Lord, that's the Son, Jesus, one Father. This is a a Trinitarian statement. And this triune God, Paul says, He's over all and through all and in all. Over all, through all, in all. All believers. We are one. And so we are to act like one. What did Jesus say is the distinguishing mark of his disciples? John thirteen thirty five. He says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That's the mark. That's the mark of God's people. It's love for one another. One time, there was a dispute, and one of the scribes came up and and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, talking to Jesus here, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. What does God desire from His people? Love God, love one another. But what marks mature believers? It's love. Jesus says, you'll know my disciples by their love for one another. In the early 70s, uh, a theologian named Francis Schaeffer wrote a little booklet called The Mark of the Christian. And this was in the early 70s when sort of the uh, hairstyles were changing and clothes were changing and so forth. And so there's a lot of tension in the culture and even in churches at that point about this. And... Um, and so, you know, some of the people thought, you know, those that were letting their hair grow and uh, dressing in a countercultural way, you know, that uh, uh, they were just kind of put out with them and looked down on them. And then some that were sort of a part of the Jesus people, the, um, the ones that were uh, dressing, you know, more casually, longer hair and all of that, they were looking down on the people that they called squares, you know, the people that were more... You know, and so th- there was pride in both groups, really. And so Schaefer is basically saying in, this, in the mark of the Christian, time out. <laughs> the mark of the Christian 
is not, you know, these types of uh, external things that you're focused on. The mark of the Christian is love. Jesus says you will know they are Christians by their love. Paul says if you're going to live up to your high calling in Christ, then your life is going to be marked by love. Love for other people. Eager for unity. You're you're living in such a way, behaving in such a way that it's promoting unity in relationships. Um, And you're recognizing the explicit fact that we are one in Christ. We are one. And so we're to treat each other in a way that, that exemplifies in the present anticipates in the present what we are going to be one day. Because I want to tell you, we're all going to be gathered around the throne and praising Christ and giving Him glory. And to glorify Him now, we're to be people of love. Jesus says here that the mark is love. This is the mark. The mark of maturity, spiritual maturity. The mark of God's people, the the mark of Christians who live up to their calling. This is it. Love God. Love people. Let's pray. Father, we pray that You would make us more and more people who reflect Your love because we have experienced that in the Gospel. We thank You so much for the fact that instead of treating us the way that we deserved, that You treated us in a way that we certainly did not deserve, that You gave Your Son for us. That Jesus exemplified humility, gentleness, patience. We thank You that You were bearing with us in love by bearing all of our sins on the cross. Our our sins, our failures, our shortcomings. Uh, You were bearing with us and bearing those things in Your body on the cross of Calvary. And so, Father, in, in the way that we treat one another, in the way that we relate to each other, help us to go back to the Gospel always. Lord, help us to help us to live close to the cross and just every day just understand that we have been given so much mercy, grace, undeserved love and compassion and kindness. You've been so patient with us. You, you have borne with us uh, throughout all of our junk. And Father, we pray that You would, would help us to, to take that and treat other people with that kind of, of grace. And as, as we do that, may we just exemplify uh, the Gospel and live out the Gospel. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here this morning and you're not certain that you have a relationship with God or you'd like to know more, we'd love to come alongside you. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. Um, and if you want to talk with someone about becoming a Christian, or if you've decided to become one, you've never made that public, we want to invite you to come. If you're here and God's speaking to you about being a part of this church family, we want to to invite you to come.
If there's a need in your life and you want to pray with someone, we'd love to do it. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.